Uh, my name is Matt Yi. I'm the director of outreach here. It's good to see all of you. Welcome. Want to welcome all of you who are here. Um, maybe you're back in town visiting family. Welcome. Glad you are here. Maybe some of you who are here to see some little ones dance. You are welcome. Uh, just make it through these next couple minutes and we'll, we'll see the children. Um, we're glad you're here. I am so great. If you don't know Truro and you're new to this church, can I just say a word uh, about my time here at Truro? My family and I, we've been here since August, and um, man, we have been so warmly welcomed by you all. We really have. And um, if you don't know this, Truro, you have the gift of encouragement. You really do. I've been encouraged by so many of you. Um, there really is a gift of encouragement. I've met so many Barnabases, Barnabai, I'm not sure what the, what the plural of Barnabas is, but there's a spirit of Barnabas and a spirit of encouragement here at Truro, and I want to encourage you to keep doing that, Truro. Amen? Amen. Uh, so we're in the midst of this new Advent series through the book of Isaiah, and we're gonna be walking through a little bit of Isaiah um, each Advent for the coming years. And uh, Jamie, again, introduced us two weeks ago. And uh, basically, if you haven't, if you haven't been here, please go back and listen to the messages all online. And I'll try my best to summarize them quickly. So um, two weeks ago, we did an overview of Isaiah and Isaiah 1. And, and Jamie basically summed it up like this, that we, not just the people in that time, but right now, we are great sinners, but we have a greater Savior. Hallelujah, right? And so that's a great summary of really not just Isaiah, but all the Bible, really. And so it's Isaiah 1. Isaiah 2 is throughout, throughout this book and throughout history that this Savior will be exalted. Him and him alone will be exalted. Uh, and then we have Isaiah 3, which I'm not going to cover fully this morning. And we're going to jump to chapter 4. But chapter 3, if I can sum up chapter 3 briefly, a lot of judgment. It's just a lot of judgment. Uh, one commentator wrote this. Isaiah describes the judgment coming upon the irresponsible men and the materialistic women of his generation. Thank goodness that has passed, right? <laughs> no longer exists. We don't have that problem right now, right? I sense, I sense a lot of couples not wanting to make eye contact right now. Passing of the peace is going to be crazy awkward this morning. <laughs> uh, but friends, there is hope. There is hope. And here in chapter 4, I'm just going to highlight one thing before we get to the message. Chapter, chapter 4, verse 5, then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion. So after this judgment that God declares over the people of Judah and Israel in chapter 3, it just demolishes them, the judgment. He says, I will build a new site, a whole site on Mount Zion. Many of you have seen the, the signage across the street here on Main Street. There's, there's a building over there, the bank and the restaurant that unfortunately dealt with that fire. And, and they're going to build something new. I think many of you have seen the signage there. And the thing is, they're not going to build this new thing on top of that burnt edifice. Right? They're not going to build on top of that. They're going to raise it to the ground. All, all that's there, they're going to demolish it. They're going to destroy it and clear that out and build anew on top of it. This morning, 
just have a short word. If you come today, you feel like your life has been demolished. Your life has just been bulldozed and you just crawled your way here this morning. Could I encourage you? That there's a good chance God may be building something new in your life. Can I encourage you? You just, you barely made it this morning or you're listening online. Can I encourage you that God can build and create something new, that what has been torn down can be redeemed? And so if you come today feeling like there's not a lot happening in your life, that God can clear away the old, and it may be painful, but he can build anew on top, and, and, and all the old thinking, all the old words, old dreams, old wounds, and he can create something new. And some of you, that's all you needed to hear today. So you can leave, um, but <laughs> please stick around. I'd love for you to stick around. Um, and here, can I pray again? I, I think um, I preached in the morning service feeling a little bit uh, needing like, need the Holy Spirit. So will you join with me in one more, one more prayer? Lord, again, we ask for you to speak, Lord, and give us the sensitivity to hear and to respond. May your words bring words of comfort, conviction, transformation, that we may look like your beautiful son. And we ask these things in his wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Friends, why do people travel up north to see Aurora Borealis? Did I say that correctly? Northern Lights. Why do people travel up there? Has anyone been up there? Has anyone seen Northern Lights? God bless you. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, why do people go hiking in the fall and see fall foliage? Why do people drive and hike to see plants die? <laughs> why, why, do, why do people do that? Why do, why, do we stare at, why do we stop and stare at a sunset? And then we break out our phone and we take a picture of it because it's so beautiful. And you look at the picture, you're like, why did I take a picture of that? It looks nothing like that, right? Why, why are we moved by music? Why are we stirred by a good book or movie? Why, is, why are we satisfied by a delicious meal? Why is that? I would answer in one word, beauty. Beauty. And science and technology, I think, has somewhat helped us understand maybe the how question of beauty. Like how, like, okay, like our sensories are... Our eyes, our ears, how we perceive things, chemicals are released, and so beauty. <laughs> but I don't think that has answered the question, why? Why is there beauty in this world? I think science and technology has not answered that well, at least for me. Again, if you're, if you're questioning and, and you're a skeptic here, I'm, I'm glad you're here. But to me, the answers that science and technology offer as to beauty, the problem of beauty, is not satisfactory to me. Well, these atoms, they smashed together, and there was a bang, and it was big, and now there's beauty. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. That just doesn't do it for me. And I believe the Bible offers a far better explanation to this problem of beauty. And the answer is there's a beautiful designer. It's a beautiful designer that has created beauty and things for us to wonder and ponder and stretch us and move us to awe. And I think the, the, the point of that is not for, for us to stop at that beauty, but to go beyond it to the one who is beautiful, right? The beautiful creator. That's the whole point is it's supposed to draw our hearts beyond just beauty 
to, to maybe ask the question, where does this beauty come from? And to ultimately come to the answer of a beautiful creator. And so here in this passage, we see the prophecy of Isaiah and, and, and he highlights, I would say, two aspects of this coming Messiah, Jesus. And here we're gonna see this in this passage. The firstly is the beauty of Jesus. Verse two, if you look with me again. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And there's a lot packed into this verse, but I just wanna draw us attention, draw our attention to this phrase, branch of the Lord. This theme, branch of the Lord, is repeated throughout the Old Testament. There's a very specific prophecy that, that the Messiah would come, that would shoot out, and especially this, this root or branch would extend out of the line of King David. And we read today in the Gospel of Luke that it was from the line of David, right? The Messiah would come, and this Messiah would be Jesus. And Jesus would be the one who would save. And in this passage, it says the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. And these words are intentional. Again, we didn't read chapter three, but it's, it's there to contrast the, the despicable and terrible sins of the people. Terrible, ugly sins of the people, beautiful, glorious Messiah, right? And so again, great sin, greater savior, beautiful savior, glorious savior. And after 700 years after this prophecy, this branch would in essence come down into this world and would be absolutely beautiful and glorious. But I would argue that his glory was not necessarily his physical beauty. Isaiah 53 says this, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Again, here's yet another prophetic reference to the branch or root. And this prophecy lets us know that the Messiah wouldn't necessarily have physical beauty that would attract us to him, right? And perhaps you've seen those paintings of Jesus, perfect skin, chiseled chin, flowing blonde hair. Oh, I don't wanna, I don't wanna shatter anyone's perceptions, but I don't think that's how Jesus looked. I'm not sure. But I do know this, that when you read the historical accounts of the gospels, clearly he was attractive. Something drew people to him. People flocked in mass to him. Thousands of people walk with him without food, just wanting to be near him. Clearly, he was attractive. And there's a lot of beauty and glory when it comes to Jesus. But because we're in the Advent and Christmas season, I would like to highlight just one strand of his amazing beauty, specifically his humility. I remember graduating from seminary. Uh, this was mid-2000s. Uh, four years of studying the Bible and theology and languages. And thought I, I walked out, I thought I knew how to pastor. Knew how to grow a church. And uh, honestly, looking back, I, I just had this pride and arrogance. And uh, 
I'll say in my defense, okay, seminary gave me a diploma that said Masters of Divinity. <laughs> Come on, friends. Can you show me a little slack? They literally gave me a piece of paper that said I had mastered the divine. That, that should not be given out to just anyone, okay? Let's just... So I'll never forget being humbled at one of my first ministry posts where I was an assistant pastor. And what humbled me was not meeting a pastor that was better than me, um, more, better preacher, better theologian. It was actually when I met this one leader, this elder of the church, and I just sensed something different about him. Something different, I couldn't pinpoint it exactly, but there was just something different about this brother. And then later, one of my co-pastors on staff, he told me the story that in the early years of the church, when they were struggling financially, he went to the church leadership. Again, I don't know if he was an elder at that point or on the board or whatever it may be, they call it their session. And he went to leadership and he asked leadership to cancel all their janitorial and cleaning services. And he said he will clean the church building himself. And so for years, he would come to Sunday service, worship, wait till everyone left, and clean the whole building, everything. Bathrooms, toilets, everything. And when I heard that, I was, I was humbled by that. I was humbled by that. It made me want to follow this gentleman. I was humbled not by his greatness, not that he was a great preacher or great theologian. It was his humility that moved me. That he came down from his position and he came low, even the lowest position. In other words, his humility crushed my pride. His selflessness defeated my selfishness. Churro, this is a small, microscopic, tiny version of Jesus' humility for us. Jesus, this is Jesus, who is God Almighty, the second person of the Holy Trinity, right? The co-creator of everything. He co-created everything. Holy, 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 perfect God. And he entered into this world. I would say he entered into the toilet of this world. Maybe even quite literally. He was born in a manger. And I apologize for the crassness maybe of that imagery. But I think sometimes we just need to hear in stark, blunt terms how far it is that Jesus came. And maybe we'll never know this side of eternity. Maybe when we get to heaven, you may see just how far he descended to come here to earth for us. That is beautiful, friends. That humility is beautiful. That, I do not see that humility very often in this world, okay? Where it says, promote yourself, keep going up. And Jesus says, I will go down, I will go down to the very depths for you. There's this quote by Augustine, and uh, I'm just gonna read it. I don't even think I can fully explain it. It describes Jesus' humility. He was created, Jesus was created of a mother 
whom he created. What does that mean? What is that? He was carried by hands he had formed. He cried in the manger in wordless infancy. He, the word, without whom all human eloquence is mute. Let, let me just pause. And let's just try somehow to capture the absurdity of his humility. Would you allow his humility to crush your pride? Would you allow his meekness to overcome your hubris? Would you allow his kindness to lead you to repentance? Come, let us adore him and him alone. Amen? Amen. Secondly, so that's the beauty of Jesus himself. Secondly, I see the beauty of Jesus' work here in verses 3 through 6. So the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of Jesus' work. And here the work of Jesus, the Messiah, the one who saves, is, is altogether beautiful and wonderful. And there's so much that Jesus the Messiah does. But in this passage, I believe we see two things highlighted. A, purification, and B, protection. So purification, verse three. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. And again, in, in Isaiah chapter three, and for that matter, all throughout the Old Testament, God over and over points out the sin, the rebellion, the selfishness, of the Israelites. And yes, judgment is proclaimed over them, but God was still incredibly merciful, incredibly kind to them. And we see it here in this passage. Though they have sinned against them, he says, I will cleanse you. I will cleanse you. Even though this is your doing, I will come and cleanse you. I will wash away the filth. And this was pointing to the coming Messiah's work of purification, right? And we live on this side of the cross, so we have the privilege of knowing Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. You, we know here how Jesus washed away and cleansed us by way of his sacrifice on the cross. Secondly, we see the work of protection. Verse five, then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night for over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. These prophecies, uh, cloud by day and smoke and shining by flaming fire by night would have immediately be re been recognized by the hearers of this at this time period. And many of you may recognize it as well, but if, if you don't, here it is. It's basically back to the time when the Israelites were being delivered out of Egyptian slavery. And as they were being delivered in the wilderness, God guided and protected them by way of this cloud, this pillar of cloud, and at night by fire. And, and so that they could travel even through the night and protected them, guided them. Um, and so Isaiah is reminding God's people that he will be their refuge, their shelter. One of the best word pictures I've heard for this word refuge is the childhood game of tag. Have you all played tag? Have you played tag? You can nod your head if you played. Yeah. Um, kind of breaks my heart, some of you not nodding. Um, man, if that's you, like, 
oh, that breaks my heart. Like, I think, I think Jamie Brown and I, we will play tag with you after service. <laughs> we will do that. Like, um, Jamie's good though, I'm just warning you. He's all district, all districts. He made states for tag. Um, <laughs> and do you remember in the game of tag, there's someone who's it, right? They were it, and they're running around chasing, trying to transfer their it to someone else, right? And they had this itness, right? And I remember when I played when I was younger, when I was first, when I was first playing tag, I think I remember just like the fear of death. Like if this person touched me, I'm going to literally die on the spot, right? Like I don't know if anyone else played at that level of intensity, but, but it was just this like irrational fear of being touched, right? Like I might die if this person touches me. And, and so you're running for your life and, and often in the game of tag, there was something called base. Right, a wall or a tree or something where if you ran and you touched it, you were safe. You were no longer, uh, you were now immune. You could not receive that itness from that person, right? You, as long as you touched that base, you were safe. That is the word refuge. It's like base. And Jesus wants to be your base. Jamie talked about it last week. He's the rock in which we can hide in. He wants to be your base. And so when, you t- when, you're, when you're touching the base, can't nothing touch you. I know that was a double negative, okay? I know, okay? Someone's gonna email me about that. Nothing can touch you when you are with the base. When you are attached to the base, you are absolutely safe. Nothing can touch you. Nothing can affect you. Church, that is the beauty of Jesus' work, not only of purification, but protection. Hallelujah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And if you think about it, the gospel, in essence, is a bizarre version of tag, if you think about it. And what I mean by that is every person born is born it. We have a certain itness. It's our sin, it's our rebellion, it's our selfishness, it's our, we can do this better than you, God, and that makes us it. Every person is born it, but there was one person, one person who was born not it. And unlike the game of tag, where the the person who's not it is trying to escape, the person who is not it says, I will come in, I will come to your level, and I want you to touch me. I will become it for you. I will become it for you. I will take your spiritual ugliness, I will take it upon myself, and I'll give you my spiritual beauty. He who had no sin became sin so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. Come on, church. That's beautiful. That's the worst trade in all of history, but we benefit from that. That he took our itness Upon himself, he came to our level, said, touch me. I'm not running away. I'm here to save you. And friends, we need both, this, both of these beauties. We need both the beauty of Jesus himself and the beauty of Jesus' work. We need both. We need both. Because if you, don't have, if you have one or the other, there's, there's going to be this great imbalance in your life. 
So if you have just the beauty of Jesus, you love Jesus, you love his teaching, the miracles he did, you read the Bible like, oh man, he's such a good guy. Like, uh, so if you only have the beauty of Jesus' life, then Jesus just becomes a good moral example. He becomes a role model. And we know those people, right? We know people in our lives that, yeah, I love Jesus. He's one of my three role models. It's Jesus and Gandhi and Taylor Swift. Like those are my role models, right? And so, so you have people like that who, who, who just like Jesus lived a good life. I really respect it. He's a beautiful person. But they don't acknowledge the work of his beautiful work on the cross because it's offensive. It's offensive because it requires people to admit that they're ugly, that they're spiritual ugly, that they're in need of someone beautiful to save them. And that's offensive. And so you have people who, who love the life of Jesus but cannot accept the, the beauty of Jesus' work, right? And then you have the flip side of people who love the work of Jesus but, but have not yet seen the beauty of Jesus. And here's, here's some snapshots of people I've known, okay? No one here, no one here. They're, they're great at the Bible. They know their Bible. They know their theology. They know their apologetics. But how do I put it? Mm, they're jerks. <laughs> Can I, I was looking for the Anglican word there, but they're just jerks, right? And they know it, they know it all, but they, they've never spent time with Jesus. They lack the beauty of it, Jesus himself. And these people, You'll see them often writing angry picket signs, pending judgment. It's true. It's true. You'll see them commenting wildly online forums, online articles. If you don't believe in sin, just read the comment section of any article. And these folks, again, they think they're defending Jesus, they're defending the faith, and they may be, but it's the manner in which they do it is not the spirit of Jesus at all. And if I can be so blunt, they're modern-day Pharisees. And here's the thing, Churo, if I can take a moment and confess, I had an imbalance in these two beauties, the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of Jesus' work. If you don't know my story, I'm not going to go into it at length, but in 2014, felt called to plant, to start a church and started a church here in the Northern Virginia area with a group of wonderful people. Love those people. Some of them are here. Love those folks. And uh, you know, our church grew spiritually. We grew in numbers, all of that. But all throughout, I was just struggling with my mental, emotional health, struggling with depression, anxiety. Uh, there would be Sunday mornings like this, just weeping on the way to church. And so after some time, as it started to affect and bleed, bleed into my marriage and family, uh, I made the difficult decision to resign from that church that we started, and, uh, and the church voted to close. That was almost two years ago, exact to the day. It's December 19, 2021. And I tell you, friends, through, through almost, almost all of 2022, I was so angry. 
I was so angry at the world, at God. I was so angry that God, God, I, God, this is your plan. I love the work of salvation. You want to save many people. You want more churches to reach more people. Why did you let a church close? I was so angry. Just driving and just expletives flying out of my mouth, right? Some of you just recognize me right now. Some of you are like, oh, that was you. That was you on 66. That was you. And, and listen, not all Asians look alike. I'm warning you, not all Asians look alike, all right? But it was probably me. It was probably me. And uh, I was so angry. I was so bitter. And it's because I lacked beholding the beauty of Jesus himself. Somehow I got really good at talking about Jesus without actually talking with him. How does that happen? I don't know. And thankfully to grace of God and the grace of my wife and good friends, I was brought back to the beauty of Jesus himself. That I was literally spitting in his face, but he showed me grace. And I was brought back to the beauty of his word. I was reading scripture and I was like, this is so good. God, you're speaking to me again. You've always been speaking. I'm paying attention and you're speaking to me. I'm like, this is so good. How am I going to preach this? I have no church. (laughs) Oh, yes, this is for me. You're just speaking to me. And I was restored back to the beauty of Jesus. This morning, if you come hurt, tired, cynical, bitter, angry, lost, confused, doubting, can I give you a word of hope? I think there may be an imbalance in the beauty of Jesus and Jesus' work. And it's possible, friends, it's possible to hold that because you know why? I have this theory, I have this hypothesis that the most happy, the most content, the most joyful, the most giving, the most caring, the most generous, the most missional Christians I know behold both beauty. They behold both beauty. And I thank you, Truro, because I've seen that hypothesis, that theory confirmed here. Some of you who I've met, I know you behold the beauty of Jesus. I don't have a camera in your prayer closet. I don't have any of that. But I just know, I can tell that you love Jesus. You love the plan of salvation, but you love the beautiful Savior. That you preach and teach redemption, but you also love spending time with the Redeemer. That Jesus is not just useful, he's beautiful. I've seen some of the most beautiful Christians here at Truro. I praise God for you. There's two high points in the Christian church calendar, Christmas and Easter. And in a way, each of these two seasons, I think, highlight the two beauties that are mentioned here in this passage. The beauty of Jesus and the beauty of Jesus' work. I think Good Friday... Easter, I think there's a highlight on the beauty of Jesus' work on the cross, defeating sin and death. So we'll save that for that season. I believe Christmas and Advent is an invitation for us to just focus on Jesus himself, 
his humility, his beauty. It's an invitation for us to experience that. And, and if you think about it, it makes sense because in the gospel accounts, right, the, you see the, the shepherds and the wise men and Simeon and Anna, and, and they come to Jesus. And how do they come to Jesus? Do they expect Jesus to give a good sermon? <laughs> baby Jesus, would you give us a good sermon? <laughs> or do they come looking for healing from baby Jesus? <laughs> or a list of prayer requests? No, they just come and adore him. They come and adore him. The fact that there is a God and that he loves us so much that he would send his son and his son would graciously come with the joy set before him for us. And so in this season, here's, I believe, the invitation. Come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Will you join with me in prayer? Jesus, you are so beautiful. Help us to see your beauty for the first time, for the 50th time, for the 500th time. Help us to see how you are so beautiful. May we be in awe, may we be moved and stirred by not just the beauty we see in this world, but by the one who created this beauty. Thank you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.